Hello and welcome to the 39th episode of the Homesteads and Homeschools podcast. You may notice today that the sound quality during the interview is not quite what you're accustomed to, and that is due to some technical difficulties that I have finally overcome. Unfortunately, um, when I was recording the episode, those difficulties had not been overcome. And so you, you may notice a little bit of a difference. Uh, quite possibly you won't, but um, anyway, it's there. I'm going to do things a little differently today. Uh, I'm going to start off by telling you to go to homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash Amazon and click through on the affiliate link. I'm going to tell you right now to go share the podcast and uh, help it grow that way. Um, spread it by by word of mouth and leave a, leave a review on iTunes. Go click those stars, uh, maybe even write something. And of course, if you really want to support the show, um, you really want to help keep this thing going, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash the Liberty Hippie and you can get some bonus content, some stickers, some seeds. Um, and, uh, you know, there's going to be a little, little bonus segment, um, after the show today. Me and my, my guest kind of, uh, talked for a little while afterwards. And, um, I think it's, it's useful, entertaining and, and informative conversation. So I, I've included it in the bonus content that you can get by going to patreon.com slash the Liberty Hippie for, I think, as little as uh, $250, $5 a month, something like that. Anyway, my guest today is uh, Mr. John W. Moody. And I threw his middle initial in there because his website is just that, johnwmoody.com. And if you go there, you can find all sorts of things that he's he's written, all sorts of services that he has uh, to offer. He's recently authored a, a couple of books, um, one's on weeds and one's on elderberries, uh, elderberries are great. If you don't know anything about them, you should look into them and, and perhaps pick up John's book. He also has a, an elderberry syrup farm called Abby's Elderberries. And, uh, he has a website called stetter.com. And there are tons of, of tutorials, information, um, classes on there that you can subscribe to, get into, uh, purchase and well worth their, their cost. It's just very informative. John is a, a super knowledgeable guy. And, uh, you know, in the past, he was the executive director at the um, Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, which also, if you have not looked at that organization, you really need to, especially if you have any interest in uh, any non-big agri-food in, in your local food systems, you need to uh, to check that, that group out. Um, they are awesome. Again, that's the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Um, and uh, all those links... I will put in today's show notes that you can find at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 039. Uh, so, without further ado, well, let's go plant those liberty seeds with Mr. John Moody. today is John Moody. Um, and I, I told you all about him in the, the pre-roll. If you skip that, go back, listen to it. John, thanks for coming on today. I, I appreciate you taking the time out to, uh, to talk to us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So, um, 
kind of curious when you, how did you get started? Were you as a kid out there playing in the dirt, cooking worms and, you know, growing vegetables or were you a city kid or how did that look? Yeah. So I grew up on the lower West side of Youngstown, Ohio. Um, if, if people who've heard of Youngstown immediately go like, what? Like, (laughs) you know, you survived growing up in Youngstown. Um, so I was as city kid as city kid could be. Um, now I did have a dad who was really big into hunting and fishing. Okay. He dragged me hunting and I'd be like, why would I shoot Bambi dad? Like (laughs) Donald's and get food out of a clown head. Mm. Um, and he'd take me fishing and I would say, I don't want to hold this stupid pole for hours on end. (laughs) Slimy thing. I want to go swim in the water, dad. Um, while I was a city kid, um, and our street dead ended into this amazing park system called the Mill Creek Park System. It's like that now with my kids a little bit sometimes, you know, the whole fishing thing. It's, that's a tough one. Even the hunting thing is a, is a tough one to get kids to do. But um, so how did, you, how did you find your way into, uh, I don't know, having a, having a love, having a passion for, for gardens, for food, for growing your own food, for taking care of yourself? Yeah. So, in, you know, like most Americans, I grew up thinking I was healthy, which meant a couple times a year. I would get, you know, courses of antibiotics <laughs> every couple years, giant holes that were forming in my teeth, they would drill out and fill with foreign substances. And I had seasonal allergies so bad that Benadryl sent me free stock options as a patronage dividend <laughs> of each year. And, you know, because that's what most Americans think of as being healthy. Mm-hmm. You're going to take some pharmaceuticals a couple times a year dental cavities are normal, allergies are normal. Um, so I, I grew up thinking all these things were normal. Then in my early 20s, I came down with a condition known as duodenal ulcers. Okay. I've heard of that before, the, the duodenal, but I, I'm not sure where or what that is. So Yeah, it, it connects your stomach to your intestines. Okay. So it's basically the first, it's the transition space from stomach to intestines. Okay. So that's uh, fairly, fairly young. Um, Yeah, I was probably like 23 or 24 at the time is my guess, right in that ball. So that that sent you on to to do some research or did you kind of ride that out and just accept it as, as what it was? Oh no. So like when the doctor told me that, this was normal and that <laughs> lots of people my age were having issues like this. Something like clicked or snapped inside of me um, where I, I was finally kind of at a point of life and other things where I was just like, no, no, this. Really- <laughs> um, so my then fiance, now my wife, we started a journey down the the great and glorious rabbit hole. Like, and we went so far, you know, that we're now the people who have like, we give birth to children on our living room couch <laughs> and potty train them. Um, you know, my, my family thinks I was abducted by aliens. Um, 
because I I've I've just gone like so far. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, you know it 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 works. It works. So I, you your your kids have been born at home. Some of them. All of them. We had all, all right. five children as home births. Good deal. That's uh that's impressive. Right. We tried to do the my wife tried to do the first one at the um. Uh, the midwife uh anyway it it, it turned out uh, she she stalled out and then we had to uh drive to the hospital in a Aww. beat up saturn in the middle of the night <laughs> and she's laying in the back seat you know like slow down look out for the pole but you know all right so um did you did you go to school for for this stuff did you go back and, and get an education in this because i know you know you eventually you became you know the executive director there at um the, uh, yeah, the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Yeah, so I mean, how did you get? How did you get there? Was this just, you know, something along the the way that caught your eye? And yeah, so I have an educational background that makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> um, so I started college as a chemistry major. I transitioned to being a mathematics major, and then I decided that while math was awesome. If I stayed a mathematics major, I would probably become the next Unabomber. <laughs> I needed to interact with people. And so I finished college with a degree. Um, you know, my, my degree was in finance and my minors were in math and economics. Okay. Um, and then I was sent to seminary right after college where I did my master's. Okay. So I learned Greek and Hebrew. Mm-hmm and church history and ancient Near Eastern history. And I learned Latin and I also studied the classics. Um, And while in seminary, I married Jessica and she married me under the assumption that we were going to be moving to Canada for (laughs) PhD work in the classics and ancient Near Eastern history. Because while I was in seminary, um, I was a Garrett fellow for one of my professors and all my professors were just like, you're very, very gifted at teaching. You're really, really good at the languages. We think you should go get a PhD so you can continue to teach and, you know, all this jazz. And it, it's one of those moments in life that you'll never forget. I was sitting in um, this spare bedroom in our two-bedroom apartment, kids, but my wife was pregnant. And we're only like a few, you know, we're like maybe six to eight months out from moving, you know, mm-hmm. to Toronto for me to do, you know, graduate studies at the University of Toronto was the plan. And I walk out and I look at Jess and I just said, I can't do a PhD. <laughs> and she's like, why? And I'm just like, I can't widow you and our kids for five or six years while I'm going through a PhD program. Mm-hmm. You know, like, she's like, well, what are we going to do then? I go, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it's been an adventure ever since. (laughs) Yeah, I I can imagine. How long were you with the um, the Legal Defense Fund there? I was on the board for a number of years. And I served as interim and then executive director for like two to two and a half years. Okay. Kind of in that what were you guys able to do there? Um, So, um, you know, so like one, we have the rogue food conference coming up Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's hard for people in 2019 to fully understand what was happening from around like 2003 through 2014 or 15. Yeah. Because basically the federal government and a large number of state governments across the nation were spending large amounts of money and large amounts of government resources doing everything they could to stamp out raw milk and raw milk farmers and any alternative means of accessing food outside of the inspected, irradiated, homogenized, pasteurized, cardboard boxed, plastic, <laughs> vac sealed food system. Yeah, I, I remember reading a few things like that in, in college. Um, you know, and, and in the few years after I graduated in 2005, so and it was a couple of years after that, reading some things. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things people don't seem to get, like, it's not common knowledge that, um, that there was an effort to, to keep the little man down, you know, there was an effort to, to kind of help out big agriculture and, and, you know, all that stuff. And, and it is when you, when you realize that, uh, those things actually happen, it makes you kind of think kind of wonder. Yeah, well, you know, one one of the things that really drove this home to me a uh, number of years ago, I was ac- asked to work on a piece of legislation in Kentucky. And the only thing this piece of legislation would do is if you had an ownership interest in an animal, you would be entitled to what that animal produced without government involvement. Mm-hmm. If you owned a chicken, you could eat the chicken and the government, eat. Um, or if you, had a, if you had an ownership stake in a cow, um, you could get milk from the cow or beef from the cow or whatever, and the, it just wouldn't be the government's business. Mm-hmm. So as part of the legislative process, me and two friends had to go to Frankfurt, this capital of Kentucky, and meet with other stakeholders is what they called them. So I drive all the way to Frankfurt. And me and my two friends get there and we sit down in this room in Frankfurt with these so-called stakeholders and they, th- they, they threatened us with violence <sighs> and physical harm if we wow. continued to push our bill. Now, you, you have to understand um, our bill would have amounted to like at best peanuts. Yeah. You, you know, you, you're talking like you know, maybe it's maximum impact in the entire universe of Kentucky would have been like a million dollars or something. Mm-hmm. Just not even a blip on the economic radar. And these people were willing to threaten us over peanuts. Yeah, that's something. It's a crack, you know, it's just that little crack that lets you in and, and, and they're scared, I guess. I don't know. That's uh, frightening. <laughs> I don't know. So you are you still involved in... Um, that sort of stuff, right? I, you're kind of more into the uh, the local scene at this point. Um, you know, well, for the you know, once I left the legal defense fund, um, I took a deep, long breath. Okay. Yeah. Because it's you know, it's just it's difficult constantly um, having to deal with that level of stupidity, <laughs> of the government, and and even once I left though. 
I, you know, in a given year, I might get as many as a dozen phone calls from farmers or food buying clubs or other people who are just, you know, basically being shaken down Mm -hmm. by and harassed and mistreated and stuff. Um, But, you know, by and large, because of the efforts, Max Kane, um, Liz Reitzig, myself and others, the FDA and a number of other government agencies basically eventually relented yeah. of, of some of their tactics that they were using against. So the buying club I run in Louisville, for instance, we were raided by the Kentucky State Health Department, cease and desist in quarantine orders. Really? <laughs> and, for, and, for, for what would you do? Well, I mean, because, it, it, you know, you could get raw milk and unwashed eggs and other okay. outside of the system. And how dare you not want to go to our <laughs> government-approved grocery stores that are full of listeria-contaminated chicken, mm-hmm. food recalls that you won't find out about until you ate the product three weeks ago. Um, so, yeah. 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 So, it's madness. As it is, it's it's so funny when you like, when you actually learn about food and and you know even just like eggs and and washing eggs or or raw milk and you know the the bacteria involved with with raw milk, um, it's just it's mind numbing. You know what actually yeah. we what what processes and what things we actually do to our food um, to get it so that you can sell it at the grocery store. It's it's you know, but uh, well. One day, hopefully, we'll get a little more, a little more freedom in that that movement. I think we kind of are seeing a little bit, you know, in the sense of you, know, you, you can find raw milk here and there um, in different places. But how long ago was that that they uh, came down on you guys? I think that was like 2000. Um, Abby's 13. Yeah, probably like okay. 2010 or 11 is my guess. Okay. All right. What is the what are the laws like there? Can you sell raw milk now, or does it have to be like animal food only? Or well, in Kentucky, um, you can do like herd shares and cow shares. Okay, but there's very few states that permit the sale of raw milk, and Mm -hmm. you know most of the states that do permit the sale of raw milk, like California, it, it basically is its own cartel. Because you have to be super big and the milk is like, you know, $20 or more a gallon. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were, we, we lived in Vermont for four years and we got, um, we could get raw milk from the, uh, the little farm around the corner. They had a, a CSA and stuff, but, um, you know, we had to bring our own bottles and it was, I think it was like $6 a, a gallon, maybe $6 half gallon it was it was fairly expensive you know especially compared to what uh, the regular milk was and but uh we we could get it down here in georgia i'm not not been able to find it but um ah so you all are down in georgia now what part uh middle middle of georgia okay but it's uh it's a different different uh seasons you know used to uh staying inside in the winter because you can't go outside you can't garden and now it's the summer you can't go outside and can't can't do things but (laughs) finally coming out of that a little bit um all right so you you mentioned the the um 
buying um, the co-op thing that you you do. Um, you're still involved with that, right? Yeah, the buying club we started. You know, my Abby was just born, and so it's been going on for 13 years now, and just trying to survive an insane food system. <laughs> <laughs> and how does that how does that work? Um, do you guys have like a brick and mortar type shop that you, you know, consolidate things into or how does that, what does that look like for you? Yeah, we, the, the club has a physical space up in Louisville um, that's for the members. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, actually reason I was a minute or two late to talk with you is because a prospective member had called and needed, you know, they're quite, you know, basically um, the buying club is not a business. It doesn't sell things. Okay. Um, so if you want to become a member of the buying club, you come and you sign up and you give me some of your money and you tell me what you want to eat. And then I go get you what you want with your money. <laughs> um, and that lets me not have to go to jail. That's, so, that... <laughs> I'm sorry. It just sounds ridiculous. You know? Oh, it is ridiculous. Um, but it's 100%, you know, like right now in a federal jail, I think over in Kansas, there is a 50 or 60 year old Amish man who is in federal prison for having made a salve, mm-hmm. ever heard a single person. So that the government could not find a single person ever harmed by this Amish man salve, but because of you know government regulations he is now in federal prison for 10 years at our taxpayer expense yeah i, I remember seeing that uh a couple of years now wasn't it um i think i think it was probably within the last 18 months his name yeah. i think sam gerard yeah i'll try to find that and put that up in the show notes yeah it was i, I remember reading that it's just it's it's insane it's insane the things that will the, the government will will put people in a cage for you know yeah. <laughs> really what, what's exactly. he doing he's selling some some concoction that didn't hurt anybody but um, so you so who do you get the food from for your your buying club there um we work with 30 some different farmers and then another probably 20 or 30 larger companies okay all right. And how, how big are you guys at this point? Uh, we have about a hundred to 150 families. Oh, wow. Okay. How did that, how did that um, start out? Did you have to have a, a critical mass to, to get it going or could you just kind of do it with a, a few people and let it grow or? Yeah, we started with just like 10 families and we just went from there. 10 families became 30 30 families became 50. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we peaked out with about 200 to 250 families. Wow. Um, and then because of just the, the massive changes to the food system that happened over the past six years, it's been a challenge for all sorts of more local food operations mm-hmm. and have hold their ground um, with, with the cultural and other changes that are taking place around us. Yeah, it's um, that's neat. It's a it's a fascinating 
thing that you guys have have going on there. Um, is it how feasible is that to do in in other places in other states? Um, is it like how big is your I guess area that you cater to? Well, I mean, we just serve people in and around Louisville. Okay. I've helped people to start clubs now probably in about 20 different places around the country. And some of them are doing real well still chugging right along. Um, You know, some like any, you know, like any venture, some are going to (laughs) succeed and a fail. And, you know, the, the postmortem I'm sure could reveal a lot of different reasons and factors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's uh, I, 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 I like that. It's a, to have those different sources for your food around, have those different options available is, um, it's a, it's a nice thing to have, you know, having the CSAs, having a, a buying program like, like yours, buying club like yours. It's, um, it'd be nice. Nice to have that done. All right. So now you are going to be in Cincinnati on, on January 25th. Um, Doing a doing a little talk there at the the Rogue Food Conference. Yeah, well, hopefully we won't be in Cincinnati though, because it's uh, tech in Kentucky. <laughs> oh, what I thought I saw on the website, it said that the international airport. Yeah, it's at the Cincinnati International Airport, which is in Hebron, Kentucky. Ah, <laughs> so it's quite funny. That? I I know a few pil- a few pilots have really freaked people out who are flying. Cincinnati by saying, you know, welcome to Kentucky um, as the plane is landing. <laughs> oh man, that's, that's, um, that's, that's nuts. And, you know, cause I saw, I saw Joel Salatin was there. I know you're in Kentucky and I was like, well, kind of an interesting place to do this Cincinnati. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I okay. Um, all right then. So it's, it's, uh, it's in Kentucky then. All right. Yeah. The, the Cincinnati airport is absolutely fabulous. Um, it's a great airport and it's so inexpensive to fly to. Nice. Um, so that's one reason we chose the Cincinnati airport for people farther away. You can, um, I've had friends fly there from Texas for like 150 under 200 bucks round trip. Nice. Um, so, because it's a hub, number of airlines serve it, and then it's a lower cost part of the country to put the event on. Um, you mm-hmm. know, so the Rogue Food event, though, Joel Salatin approached me probably around three years ago about it. You know, with this idea that you know there are a million people who will try to teach you to jump through the circus hoops of mm-hmm. compliance. With the, with the never-ending and always multiplying government regulations. But who will teach you to innovate around them? Yeah. Who will teach you to invent rather than comply? And so that's what this event is all about from top to bottom. It is um, innovative people from all over the country who have found really creative ways to circumvent rather than comply with the onerous and completely unnecessary regulations that govern modern food and farming. Yeah, that's uh, that's something. Cause it, you know, it is you when you 
just following the rules all the time. Um, there's always going to be new ones and it's just a learning and, and learning how to kind of do it yourself is, uh, is something. I appreciate that. So, uh, that's in, in January. Um, and you're, you're going to be speaking. Yeah. I'm going to speak on, you know, alternative, you know, basically like how to build an alternative food distribution system. Okay. So sort of like your, is that like your buying club kind of? Yeah. Like the buying club, you know, other ideas. Um, or, you know, like for instance, um, in some States, a, a farmer can raise chickens on their farm, mm-hmm. but they can't butcher them on the farm and sell them to you. Right. So they have to take them to a USDA inspected butchering facility which in some States there isn't one. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I do a farmer who is driving something like eight or nine hours Ugh. direction to take animals to an approved butchering facility. <laughs> so what, what this one farmer I'm friends with did was basically made a contract and you would pay him $1 per chick, which was the cost of the baby chicks at the time. Mm-hmm. You buy the number of baby chickens you wanted to end up being whole chickens. Um, and he would raise the chickens for you. They were your chickens, but you were paying him for his labor to raise them on his farm and his land. You, you know, so, yeah. just, you know, different creative workarounds um, you know, cool. that, that lets you support a local farmer, um, or distribute food to your church or your community or your friends. Mm-hmm. And um, when you otherwise might not be able to, or could not. Yeah. It's, uh, it's nice to see those other, other networks develop. It really, really is. Um, especially, you know, even when people don't realize necessarily, what they're doing, you know, the, the fact that, um, why they're doing it, uh, you know, you can, can help bring them around and and understand that, you know, this is why, this is why you have to ship your chickens nine hours, you know? Um, yeah. You start seeing the, the faults in, in some of the state programs and and government that gets in the way of just eating. um, Yeah. Well, it's crazy because like it, it made big headlines a couple years ago, that chickens raised in America are now being shipped to China to be processed mm-hmm. and then back to America. So in what universe does it make sense for a chicken to take two trans-Pacific voyages <laughs> before it reaches your dinner plate? Like if that doesn't, if that doesn't convince people that like, you know, mm. The, the, you know, the insane people are running the asylum. <laughs> like, I don't know what does. It's just like the, the, the chicken travels farther than some people do in the entire calendar year. Yeah. More, further than some people will travel in their entire life. It's uh that's wild. But, all right. Um, before I, before I let you go here, I know uh, you're, you're a busy guy. You've, been writing and you just put out a, a couple of books, right? One one's on elderberries and the other is weeds, right? So um, yeah, which I, I I got the elderberry one. I know I, I 
appreciate that. It's good. Good read. Um, but, uh, yeah. So any, any thoughts on those? I know the elderberry, you guys have an elderberry farm, I guess you want to call it. Well, we raise some elderberries, but we have an elderberry syrup business. Okay. So about, you know, we planted elderberries about seven or eight years ago on our homestead. And then about three years ago, um, my daughter, who at the time, I guess, was about 10 or 11, um, we had her start making elderberry syrup. Okay. We had people who wanted to buy it at the buying club and stuff. Um, and then over the last couple years, it's been great to see that interest in elderberry has really exploded. Um, it has. It really has. You know, you said, I, I remember as a kid, like, feeding it to the chickens and then trying to make some pies with it and grandma <laughs> telling me things that she used to be able to do with it. And, you know, and, and now, you know, I know a handful of people that, that use the, the juice or, or, you know, the vitamin gummies and um, are into it for that reason, but don't quite realize, you know, that driving down the road that, well, that's an elderberry tree over there, you know? Um, yeah. But very cool. All right. And if, if people want to, pick up your, your books and, um, where, where can they go to do that? Yeah. So if you're interested in like elderberry stuff, um, it's Abby's elderberry is our website for elderberry. And then if you're interested in books and other things I do, it's John Okay. I'll put those, those links in the show notes. And if they want to find out more about the rogue food conference, um, which is in Kentucky, um, where where should they go to to figure that? They out? should go to roguefoodconference.com. Okay. And I'll put that link in there and um link them over to the the Facebook as well. Um it uh looks like it should be quite the conference. Um is this this is the first year that they they you guys are doing it? Yeah, this is the first year, first time. Um and a great thing as part of the conference is um both breakfast and lunch are included. Um, Joel and Polyface are donating a bunch of the food for the meals, as are a bunch of other farms in the region. Nice. Uh, so when we talk about, you know, an alternative food economy and actually supporting and eating from, you know, having food with a face, mm -hmm. you, you know, you're going to come and get to enjoy some absolutely great food as part of the event. Awesome. That's uh that's quite the sell, man. Mm. Could be could be something. All right. <laughs> I, I I appreciate it. Um and uh yeah. back like i said at the top of the show there's bonus if you want to hear more of john uh you can you can get that by going to patreon.com slash liberty hippie and uh becoming a patron of the show and uh you can get that that bonus content and all the back bonus content that's out there some stickers seeds maybe even a shirt some other the goodies but anyway um so anyway john is a super knowledgeable guy um 
lots of lots of information in his skull that is uh there to share he's he's uh puts it out there for you so if you want to hear more of john today's show today's bonus content wasn't enough you should definitely go to the rogue food conference and check him out he'll be there with uh joel salatin and uh some other other large names big big names that um yeah if i could get the chance to go that would that would be spectacular i I imagine it's just going to be a a wonderful event and um if you have the opportunity, you should uh, you should go check that out for sure. Anyway, uh, that's all for today. Um, I want to thank you for your downloads. Thank you for your shares. Thank you for listening. Uh, I appreciate it. And um, it's kind of one of the, one of the things that, that keeps this thing going. You know, um, you get you get five downloads on a show, and you're probably not going to keep doing it. So um, those things they, they do matter to some degree, at least to me. Anyway, I I appreciate you guys out there, so thank you, and uh, yeah, get out there, sow those seeds of liberty, we can all reap sheaves of freedom together.